Welcome to the Wheel of Sports, home to the greatest sports stories ever told. My name is Ian McNally, and with me all the way in Edinburgh, Scotland, Matt Lavery. Matt Lavery, yeah. how's it going, Ian? Very good, Matt. Now we had a few, uh, we had a minor, minor technical issue with the last episode, uh, but you found a novel way to resolve it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so we were getting a bit of. Uh, what's, what's, I don't know. You could hear me talking through the mic. I mean, that so, is um, that is a massive problem hearing your is, side of things. But <laughs> what it was is that you could hear a slight delay. I, I believe it was uh, causing a bit of an issue, uh, which you know took me many hours in the studio to rectify. But you found a novel way to uh, get round it. Yeah, I've been listening to some rap music. <laughs> and talking at the same time, saying test <laughs> to myself in my living room. So in, um, the, in the last episode, you gifted us with the image of you putting on a halftime baseball cap to stop the sun in your eyes. And now, yep. you're, now you're a, a white middle class man rapping <laughs> to <Exactly>. nobody. <laughs> to nobody at, at nine o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get the wheel started, but what dreams the podcast world brings you, like, completely unexpected, Matt. So the topic <laughs> for this episode is... It's golden moments. And I'm going to take this one, in, if that's all right with you. Well, absolutely, Matt. Fire away. <laughs> Thanks very much. Well, this is a real golden moment, um, but it's an interesting one. It's the story of a guy who's who's synonymous with what he did. He's a uh, you know famous certainly in the United Kingdom and in Great Britain for his sporting prowess. But he never won an Olympic title. He set one individual world record, which was relinquished after barely six weeks, and he retired from you know the height of his powers uh, when he was only twenty five years old. Twenty five, Matt. Twenty five. So most of us, like, I think what I was doing when I was 25, and he's retired from his chosen sport. (laughs) His name's Roger Bannister. um, And obviously, he's famous for being the first person in the world to run the four-minute mile. That's a mile in four minutes. Now, Matt, a mile, a mile, see, like, that's a fairly long way, isn't it? I think in new money, it's approximately 1.60934 kilometres. I don't know if that's about right. Does that sound (laughs) about right to you? Yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah, Yeah, exactly. So 1.6 kilometres. So that's actually, because the the distance has been um, made into a metric, like, round figure, hasn't it, for the modern Olympics. It's like uh, one. 1,500 1,500 meters, not kilometers. 1,500 meters is the measurement. So it's slightly shy of a of a mile. Yeah. So the 1,500 meters is is replaced, as you say, in in the Olympics and in most um, athletic meets. But the mile is still ran as a bit of fun, really, uh, and people will still sort of take part in this um, because of the. I guess the history, the uh, and the sort of historical significance. But yeah, these days you don't you don't win anything, and it's not a race that's ran uh, or a distance that's ran normally. But back then, it it was it w- w- was back then the... it was yeah exactly. So we're going back to the fifties. In fact, let's go way back, and I'll tell you a little bit about uh, Roger Bannister's his, his personal history. So, um, as well as being an acclaimed athlete and runner. 
Roger's also famous for his brain and his uh, his career that he had afterwards. So he's a seriously bright young guy. He sits his university exams when he's only 16 years old. Um, and he's entered uh, to Exeter College to start medical studies when he's only 17. Um, it's the post-war era. At that time, you know, most of his fellow students are going to be older guys, ex-servicemen. And he's, he's you know, 17, really young, but he's really well respected and accepted by his uh, fellow students. He plays a bit of rugby. That's amazing, though, isn't it? That, like, a 17-year-old at university, I mean, and particularly, you know, like, if you were a 17-year-old and you were studying, like, you know, a Bachelor bachelor of Arts or something, like, nobody would be bothered, would they? Like, it'd just be a bit of a laugh. But when it's life and death, it seems... <laughs> no, it strikes me like no matter how smart you were, you'd still have your doubts, you know, like... He's not old enough to drive. He's not old enough to drink. He's not old enough to like. He's barely old enough to pay tax. Like, so it's, <laughs> it's, it, it seems very odd. He he certainly is accepted by his uh, by by his fellow students. As I say, um, they actually elect him as president of the university athletic club when he's still a teenager, and he has quite a significant role here because he converts Oxford's really famous running track. Um, which is uh, memorialised. Do you ever see the film Chariots of Fire? I know Chariots of Fire very well, Matt. I'll tell you yeah, why. So... I'll tell you why in a moment. Okay. Well, he he converts that track, which used to be 586 and a little bit yards, so it was three laps to a mile, and they that was unusual because you'd run uh, clockwise, which is the wrong way round, and he sort of quite instrumental in getting Oxford's colleges to have a new running track, which is uh, opened in 1950, where they actually run uh, the right way around, which is uh, anti-clockwise. Why do you go and tell me about your thing? Oh, no, Chariots of Fire. Obviously, it's uh, focused on the 1924 Olympics, I believe, yep. and uh, which took place in Paris, I think. And it was about... Um, uh, a young man who was uh, Jewish of faith and and refused to run on a Sabbath, and it, it caused a bit of uh, discord because it, it, there was a sense that you know he he should be uh, allowed not not to run. The reason I know about this is because a lot of Chariots of Fire was uh, filmed in my hometown where I grew up because the the film was made in the eighties. And they had to find a running track which hadn't had investment since the 1920s. And so, <laughs> and so there's an old cinder track which was still in existence then. And they didn't have to do much to it <laughs> to, to replicate a 1924 running track. Um, nice. A Bebbington Oval. Yeah, so that's, that's why I'm uh, very fond of Chariots of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> but carry on with this Bannister fella. What's it? I will. So, so Ban- Bannister's at, at Oxford University. He's the president of the University Athletic Club. And look, by the time this new track's opened in 1950, he's established himself as the best mile runner and best 1500 meter runner in Britain. Um, he's beaten several of, of the American and European runners. There's no doubt that when they come to the 1952 Helsinki Olympics, he's one of the favourites. 
uh, for the 1500 meters. He's been developing his own training. So as part of his medical studies, he's actually been looking at his own physiology and developing his own quite unique training regime, which he really believed in. But when it comes to the Helsinki Games, as I say, he's going in as a favourite. He finished a really quite disappointing fourth place. And the media were really quite negative about him. Um, They felt that really he lost his nerve and he'd sort of let everybody down uh, and himself down. It's a bit harsh. It's harsh, that, isn't it, though, Matt? Because, you know, he he was probably the only athlete there who'd been dropped off by his mum. <laughs> well, he's, he's, not in his, he's not in his teens anymore. Um, <laughs> but, but he's... Uh, it, it wasn't really anything to do with his, his nerve. What, what, what had actually happened is the race organisers had changed the schedule. So they'd added semi-finals... Um, shortly before the competition, and as a result, Bannister was going to have to race three races, but that's not what he trained for, and he just didn't have the stamina to do three runs in three days, which is sort of what the schedule uh, would have dictated. So, so is this because he's been so precise and knowledgeable about the physiology side of things that any change to to what he expected was now uh, like he you know because he, he lacked flexibility in his regime presumably well, well exactly yeah he he was sort of you know finally attuned to this schedule and when it was changed it, it threw the whole thing off and look at the time he was really heavily criticized as I say by the media but it was probably a bit of a blessing that he didn't win that gold medal because if he had he, he was his plan was to retire from athletics there and then uh, and give up running and focus entirely on his medical studies because whilst running was important to Bannister, his studies and his commitment to medicine were absolutely paramount. That was what he was totally dedicated to. So as a result of this failure, he, he thinks about retiring from running but decides to focus on competing in the what was then called the Empire Games which are going to be held two years later. Now, in the lead-up to this, there's runners from Europe, America, Australia, who are whittling their times down and getting closer and closer to breaking the four-minute mile. And it's sort of becoming something that's, I guess, more important. People are more interested in the outer limits of how quick a man can run or how quick a person could be. And there's there's debate of, you know, is it possible that they could run sub four minutes in, to, to do the mile distance? It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hot debate, but it's also something that the runners are taking really seriously. So in, the, in America, in the US, uh, a guy called Wes Santis clocked in at four minutes, 2.4 seconds. And that was just a few weeks after the um, John Landy, who's the Australian. He'd ran four separate races all coming in at four minutes and two seconds. You, he must have been livid as well. Like you, two seconds out, you'd be absolutely livid, wouldn't you? Yeah, but that so that's it's interesting because John Landy spoke about this, and people maybe who who don't know think two seconds that's nothing, that's so easy. But John Landy said it may as well have been an hour, like because to shave off two seconds 
That means shaving off just over half a second for every quarter of a mile. Well, that's like really tough. Do you know what I mean? You're talking about taking off almost a quarter of a second out of your, your minute's worth of running. Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it but it really is. And as I say, Bannister's, he's become pretty close himself. He's ran four minutes and then 3.6 seconds. But the world record at that time is held by a, a Swede uh, called Gunderhag, who's ran it in four minutes, 1.4 seconds. So there's this feeling that maybe around 1954, when the Empire Games are to be held, that, that could be the time when it's broken, um, the four-minute mark, finally. But if not then, soon, because these guys are committed to it. Landy's, the Australian Landy's uh, made a public announcement saying that he's going to commit his whole summer to breaking it. And it's it's a feeling of now or never for, for Bannister and probably for all of the other runners. There's almost a, a race to, to be the first to, to win the race, if, if that makes sense. And what's interesting in this is that breaking that benchmark time is something that hasn't gone away is it it's not like that this is just a 1950s phenomena it's like when we look recently even you know the the 10 seconds uh, mark for the 100 meters was a massive thing to get under 10 seconds and even mo- more recently with the the marathon being under two hours uh, yeah. as as being a phenomenon so it's, it's definitely not something that's uh, just of its time it's something that we clearly are very compelled by these benchmarks which in some oh, ways definitely. are fairly meaningless yeah they're totally and, arbitrary and, and, and abstract but at the same time it there is a it's a bit like new year's eve isn't it there's a bit of this it is a bit of a just the change of the you know people make all these resolutions after new year's eve and things it's like well it's irrelevant you can make those resolutions any time of the year it just feels special definitely most definitely and that's that's interesting you say that because uh it's totally arbitrary you'd think all that matters is winning the race uh, or setting a record who cares what the actual time is but you're right there's something really interesting and people are seriously committed to i guess breaking these landmarks or whatever you'd call them let me tell you about the race so it's may the 6th 1954 a thursday and roger bannister who's 25 years old now and is studying down in london uh, in the morning he gets up he goes to work at the hospital uh, and then catches a train up to oxford Uh, he has lunch with his mates christopher chataway and chris brasher Wow, boozy lunch, uh, you know, uh, bottomless espresso martinis. uh. I'd say with with these two, probably not. So Christopher Chataway and Chris Basher, they're his teammates who are going to run with him because they're preparing to have this race against Oxford University. But just just look at this, right? So Christopher Chataway, later that summer, wins the world record for the 5,000 metres and goes on to beat Roger Bannister for the inaugural BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award uh, later that year. Meanwhile, Chris Brasher, he goes on to win an Olympic gold in the steeplechase two years later. Wow, he he, t- he turns out to be a horse. What? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'd have to win the sports personality with a name like Chataway. <laughs> <laughs> it must these, be a good conversation. These- 
Oh, must be. Well, the, the good conversation, but also great runners. And these three amateur runners, they're turning up, as I say, to have this race against Oxford. I talked earlier about the hype around this and people's interest in breaking the four-minute mile. Well, for this amateur meet, there's about 1,200 people. So 1,200 people turn up at the Ifley Road track in Oxford to watch this race this amateur race, it's a blustery day, it's a damp day, it's been raining. I mean, these are not good conditions for breaking a world record. And right down to the last minute, really, Bannister's, he's got misgivings about the weather, he's not really convinced it's a its a good day to attempt it. But his two pacemakers, Chataway and Brasher, are encouraging him. And as I say, there's this feeling of we we'll either do it now or, or never. You know, we want to be the first to do it, but Landy from Australia is getting closer. It's It has to happen. So it stops raining. The winds calm down. And Bannister says, all right, let's go for it. With the mile race, they're doing four laps. They have It has to basically be doing 59 seconds per lap to achieve his goal. So the plan is, and, and as I say, Bannister is meticulous in his planning, this race is no different. So the plan is for Brasher to lead for the first two laps and then Chataway for the next one and a bit more. And Bannister's going to sit on their shoulder. But it's essential that these quarter mile times are falling in 59 seconds. So the first two laps see Brasher set off and just in front and they're just right on the nose. So the first quarter is finished 59 seconds. They get to the halfway mark in 1 minute 58 seconds. And then Chataway takes up the mantle for the third lap and Bannister's following behind him. But at the three-quarter mark, the announcer calls his time as three minutes and one second. So he's basically lost three seconds of where he needs to be, which is huge because now he's going into his final lap needing to do sub-59 seconds, really to break the four-minute mile. At this point, as Brasher, uh, he runs the first two laps and drops out, he's not still running. He continues running. He continues running, but he's he's there really to to set the pace and, you know, break the wind resistance for Bannister. So he, he'll finish the race, you know. It's, mm. it, it, he's only, you know, but, he, but he, he'll probably finish, I don't know exactly his time, but it's about another minute or two for him to, to finish the race. It's worth doing. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's only it's only a couple of minutes. It's not like a marathon where you're going to be at it for another half an hour or something, or another hour after you after the pacemakers drop out. Mm. But um, certainly, they they had the strategy to get Bannister to win this. You know, they're not competing; they are they have a strategy so that Bannister will win the race. So, well, would would you trust your mates, Matt? Would you trust them? Like, if you you said, right, we're gonna you're gonna get me over the line here. Have you got some friends that you think? They'd be like, nah, I'm I'm doing all right here. I'm just gonna Yeah. Three quarters of the way around, they'd be yeah. they'd be like, Oh, I can win this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Screw the plan. Screw the record. So he goes into the final lap and he's got under fifty nine seconds. And he senses the moment of a lifetime. The crowd's roaring. He takes his cue on the on the far straight of the last lap. He lengthens his stride. He overtakes Chataway into the final bend and he hit, and he goes for it. The announcer, who's another friend of Bannister's, sort of calls his time and all that you hear is the, is the number three. 
meaning that he's broken four, but the rest of it is just drown out by the noise of that that crowd because it's absolutely electric, the atmosphere. You don't hear his time. He can't hear his time, but he knows that he's done it. He knows that that first digit that's called was three and not four. That's amazing. What a, what a great moment. Incredible. Again, though, if that was one of my mates who was the announcer, it would be like... 3LM, 2LK, could you please move your uh, car from the entrance? (laughs) (laughs) Proper stitch you up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I said earlier, Bannister's been chasing this world record, which he now has, and he's taken it off the Swede Haag. And Haag's record has stood for nine years, nearly nine years. Bannister's lasts just 46 days before Landy, the Australian, has a race in Finland, and he posts this astounding three minutes and 58. So Bannister is the world record holder for, yeah, less than six weeks. What that does, it sets up the the mile of a lifetime, as it's called, which is a race which is going to take place between Bannister and Landy. The only two runners in the world who at this time have ran a mile in under four minutes. So they arrive in Canada to this media frenzy. You know, there's so much hype. I guess there's a bit of a concern that maybe the race can't live up to this, that the final just won't be as exciting as they're, they're saying. But what's, what's interesting is these two guys, these two runners, Landy and Bannister, have really different strategies. Landy is going to try and go out hard at the beginning so that Bannister loses his sprint to finish. But Bannister needs to try and keep this even-paced and conserve his enough, enough energy so that he can you know, finish really, really strongly. Landy leads from the gun, increases his lead as the first two laps progress to 7 yards, then 10 yards, and even 15 yards at one point. So Landy's got a 15-yard lead. Then gradually, throughout that third lap, Landy begins to slow. Bannister's doing his even strides, and he's just pulling the gap tighter and tighter and tighter. And at the bell, he's back on Landy's shoulder, but he's tiring. And they're going neck and neck. And at the end of the final bend, he flings himself past Landy's shoulder. And just as chance would have it, really, but maybe a bit of indiscipline from Landy, he anxiously just glances over to see where Bannister is. And and that's it. That's all Bannister needs. He's away. The Australian just can't respond, can't catch him. And this mile of the century belongs to Bannister. But... Unbelievably, both men have ran the four, the mile in under four minutes. So it's just just absolutely remarkable. These two amazing competitors. So that race in Canada, they both ran under four minutes again. Yeah, that's extraordinary. It it I, exactly. it almost makes me feel like they were um, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin before the space race. Like this was the precursor to the space race because like John Landy is Buzz Aldrin going come on like does no one talk about me like yeah I wasn't wasn't the first man on the moon but I was sick never mind Michael Collins who's in the space shuttle like you never get to mention the third salary went (laughs) nobody talks about he's dead to everybody whereas like there is this Buzz Aldrin kind of Neil Armstrong space race happening it's but that's extraordinary that they pushed each other. I mean, what a special time that is. Like, yeah. The, and, and, and it's a packed stadium. 
they both have broken the records and and the, you know the applause is just mad for this and this is what's incredible because you'd think Bannister now having lost the record to Landy but the world record obviously he's still the first person to have done it Landy's now the fastest over the mile in the world but he's raced Landy and he's beaten him and you're thinking you know it doesn't get any better than this surely you know you've just beaten the world record holder and yet Bannister decides as I said earlier medicine's all all important so he trains for one more race, which is end of August. It's a pretty comfortable victory for him in the European uh, Championship. Uh, he does 1,500 metres in Bern in Switzerland. He gets gold, and then that's it. He never competed ever again. So at the height of his powers, at the you know the top of his career, he gives up competitive running and concentrates on medicine and becomes a doctor. So because he was so clever... And he won in the European Championships in in the city of Bern. It was the headlines, first degree Bern, the next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad so, for you, actually. It's a, it, Like, some people listen to this podcast and they think it must be scripted. <laughs> can can, can not, I just say, the jokes would not be this good if it was scripted. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, isn't that remarkable that he just... You know, preferred studying, I guess, and preferred preferred working for a living rather than being an athlete. Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, you know, in terms of maybe part status, endeavour, part money as well. It's like job security, etc. It's maybe, like a... maybe there was just nothing more for him to do. Maybe he's like, well, I've conquered it. You know, I'm... Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Alexander the Great. <laughs> That's it. I think Alexander Done. the Great was, what, 27 no more yeah, lands yeah. left to conquer. Yeah, it's 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 a great story of like particularly that being so good and having a rival that is so good and being able to reconcile that, being able to actually compete against each other because there's there's certainly times where that just hasn't happened in sports where you know you look at some sports people and you think well if they were ten years younger or ten years you know like if it, it would be a great competition it would be great he, to see them compete yeah, yeah. But, but here we've got the coincidence of both and that but that's the interesting thing about Bannister's story you know quite often when these records fall you know often world records are achieved at the Olympics when you've got the best of the best competing in the field whereas in this case Bannister was it was an amateur race in Oxford on a windy wet day like there wasn't really you know, if Landy wasn't there, he wasn't racing Bannister to to give him that extra bit to be the first person to do it. Obviously, he went on to race him not long afterwards, but when the record fell, or when that landmark four-minute mile was, was done for the first time, it was kind of a, a bit of a non-event, it, it, which is unusual, I think. It's interesting as well that, you know, you said that um, Bannister had been at work in the hospital in the morning, had got the train up, and then had broken a four minute mile i mean it's and he wasn't going to do it like he wasn't going to run because of the weather and everything it it strikes me very much as you know like if he would have planned it meticulously 
he he possibly wouldn't have done it. You know, like sometimes when you plan a night out with your mates and it you just it's just <laughs> never that good. But like if you're on your way, you've just got the bus home and you're on the way, and someone gets you fancy a pint, and they're always the best nights out. By far. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Ian. That's exactly the same. <laughs> That's exactly the same. <laughs> I still, I still can't believe like he must have been so sore that he didn't win BBC Personality of the Year. But oh, I know how good is that? He didn't even win it. But now he, he's, he, you know, he's he's celebrated all the time as the greatest. And yeah, Chatway and Vasher are probably less less well known and less well remembered. Um, but it's yeah, I, remarkable. I think one of the um, real images from this event is. Bannister crossing the finish line and collapsing, like looking like death, and you know, like trying to just get as much air into his lungs as possible. Like you don't really see that with athletes now. Like they don't just collapse or like they don't just hold onto their knees as though like you know they've given everything of themselves. It's mm. kind of they they finish on the finish line and then give an interview like ten seconds later. <laughs> it's like yeah, often you're right. There is something like really romantic about that seeing the, someone break the four minute mile and then just you know sh- visibly showing that they've just given their all everything there's yeah. nothing left like brilliant it's like it's like me and you feel every time we put out this podcast <laughs> oh absolutely giving it everything <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing left <laughs> nothing left <laughs> thanks so much matt wonderful story a brilliant golden moment one of sports greatest stories ever told thanks for listening to the wheel of sports and make sure you share it with your friends and wherever you get your podcast please leave us a review you can get in touch with the show via instagram twitter at the wheel of sport we'd love to hear from you and any suggestions for episodes as well we're not running out but obviously we just like uh you know a bit of bit of to and fro between our listeners so love to hear from you and thanks so much matt oh my pleasure thank you ian it's been a joy as always but i've got nothing left (laughs) (laughs) i wondered what that heavy breathing was we'll see you next time on the wheel of sport (laughs) bye Go a long, long time before you see another event like that.